You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. X-Man Podcast. I am your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you checking out the show. It's been a busy time for myself. I feel, in a way, a little bit disconnected from the podcast. I've been so busy touring and going around uh, the country. Uh, my band, Bad Wolves, we just... We essentially went from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast in a very, very short amount of time. And... The road has a very bewildering uh, effect to it, you know, in in not all the ways I think healthy. Actually, I would say it's primarily unhealthy. And uh, (laughs) there's something about not having uh, physical stability, right? Like I'm going to be in one place. You you know, you you have to kind of suspend, uh, you know, that sense of, of stasis. So I think it's, it's, it's difficult. And I've, I spent the majority of my twenties on the road kind of in my formative years. And that kind of hurt me in a lot of ways. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of just general life skills and domestic, and I'd say relationship, you know, primary relationship and, and, and domestic skills that help you just kind of deal and, and be of a complete human being, you know, and, and, and it took me, I'd say me getting off the road in my thirties and kind of settling in and kind of figure, figuring a lot of things out and, you know, and be, being comfortable with that, you know, and, and I think when I was younger and I didn't have a lot of other stuff outside of the band, I needed to be on the road and I needed this, you know, there's that, that hit of adrenaline <laughs> and that, um, 
that idea that I know what I'm doing today and it's pretty mapped out, right? It's like, hey, we get up, we drive, we load in, we play the show, we hang out. It's a there's there's, there's an entire rhythm to it. You know, and some people don't like it and I I loved it. But, you know, I think in life you do you do change and you do learn different things. So, I'm figuring out as kind of in my I guess this would be the third phase, right? I had the time when I was touring all the time for about 10 years. And then I had about, you know, I guess from 2012 till now. So about a little more than half a decade where I haven't really been touring much. I've toured a little. I've done probably four or five tours in that time. But it was all spread out. And now now I'm in this, this situation where the, the band is really taking off. And, that's, and I have to kind of emphasize that this touring scenario is different than any I've ever been involved in because of the the momentum behind the band and the the opportunities we have. I mean, we're playing, we just did a week of shows and there was not a dud in there. They were all A plus shows. And that's a really beautiful thing, you know, because a lot of times you go on a tour and the main thing you're worried about is like, are people gonna show up, right? And so there, there's this anxiety and then sometimes they don't show up and then you're kind of bummed out. And, and there's this whole psychology around, all right, I have to be a professional and perform to a, a, a not so big audience. And it's and it's the, it brings you that whole idea to if a tree falls in the forest, is it worth doing, you know, and it makes you question, why am I doing this? What's going on? There's this whole kind of rabbit hole you can go down when it's not going well. But right now it is going re- really well. And, it, and, it, and that allows you the freedom to just focus on the performance and just focus on going out there and giving your your best. And that's a that's a really, really awesome feeling. And I think, you know, right right now, because I've been doing this so long, it the main thing for me is like A, staying grounded and understanding that, you know, I you know, the other day I had two guys like literally get their name tattooed, get my name, my signature tattooed on them. Like one day I, I wrote it, the next day they had a tattoo and they're showing me the tattoos. I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And I just don't ever want to get wrapped up in the the rock star thing. I think it's corny as fuck, <laughs> you know. Um, and I and I I think there's there's this idea of of you know, and I think and I almost worry about it with with Tommy, the singer from from Bad Wolves. Like he's getting he's becoming a famous person, and it's maybe that hinders. Oh, I, if I go here, people are gonna bother me. I do this, people are gonna bother me. That can kind of suck. But I hopefully things stay on a level where. I can still be a regular everyday dude, which is more or less what I am. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's interesting just kind of trying to figure out how to how to maintain the health, right? Health with your relationships, physical health. Um, all those things are, are difficult on the road. You know, like Metallica, what they do is they basically tour two weeks on, two weeks off. And I think that's because they're at the level that they're at. They understand Hey, we like doing this, but we need that balance, you know. And, we're, and I'm gonna be out. I'm booked till September, and I'm like, all right, how do I get from A to B and maintain some sense semblance of of, of sanity? Um, and that's gonna be a challenge, but it's up to me, you know. It's not, you know, there's no not gonna be any outward sources that are going to kind of clean everything up. I have to go out there and understand because I know the, the 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 pitfalls. No one else can kind of do that for me. So I don't know. I just wanted to kind of give you guys 
some ideas in, into some of the thoughts that I'm having recently because the last episode, I was so busy and I have a lot of time, I couldn't really give a, a proper Doc Coyle monologue. But uh, <laughs> I got to give you guys it what you want, what you need, and it's also good for me to get these things off my chest. With that, I want to talk about this week's show sponsor. Believe it or not, this week, we have the first band to ever sponsor the show twice. That is pretty incredible. Uh, it's a band called Gigantelope. So if you heard them on the show previously, we're going to get a second dose. They are an unsigned band from Austin, Texas, and they just released their first full-length album called Super God on April 20th. And we're going to play a song right now called Techno Jesus. Check it out.
So that song was called Techno Jesus, and it's from the band Gigantelope. And if you're wondering how that's spelled, it's G-I-G-A-N-T-A-L-O-P-E. And that's from their album, Super God, which was just released. You can get that on all streaming services, and it's also available on CD and limited run vinyl. You can go to their website, gigantelopeparty.com. You can find them on Instagram, at Gigantelope, and on Facebook, com backslash gigantelope please check them out oh i forgot one more thing they also have a show coming up they are playing uh the txrd all-scar army fundraiser on may 5th in austin texas huge shout out to them for sponsoring the show twice man i gotta get home give them a little applause thank you so much gigantelope you guys are the bomb and one more thing you guys know are the show's main sponsor rockabilia.com it is the number one stop shop for all things band merch and by the way they don't just have band merch they have all the stuff over there all right you want you want you a shirt with like die hard on it you know bruce willis bruce willie you go over there i bet you they have it i haven't looked it up i'm not here to do the research for you you know i'm sick of people saying hey doc what's going on with this i'm like google but this is not google this is we're not they're not the sponsor right now rockabilia.com is the sponsor you need to go over there. They have 500,000 items. Really get 500,000 items. All right. They have it all. They even have a limited edition exclusive Bad Wolves design over there that I made them get. I say, hey, guys, get you a Bad Wolves shirt over there, right? Bring us in, in, in the group. And if you want that shirt, you have to go over to rockabilia.com and you can get 15% off with our discount code PC. Jabberjaw. Again, that's PC Jabberjaw. Check it out. Now with the business out of the way, I'd like to give a little introduction to this week's guest. This was a very unique show as it was the first attempt at doing a live X-Man broadcast. And there were some challenges uh, with the venue. You might hear that. There's some background noise. that They had bands playing, which they told me they weren't going to have bands playing. So it was a little annoying. But the fact was, you know, I had Roy Mayorga. If you don't know Roy Mayorga, this guy's been in so many bands. And I, I met him literally on my first, my second or third tour. And he's always just been one of those people that is just amazing, you know, um, and always been gracious and always, you know, it's like almost me talking about in the, in the, the monologue of the show about not forgetting who you are and not believing the rock star bullshit. Because if anyone deserves to act like a rock star, it's Roy, considering his resume and all that he's accomplished. And he gets it that it's not about all that shit. You know, it's 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 about kind of a a a higher purpose to to, to all of this. And um and you know, me and him actually had a, had a talk after the show, and he he really kind of counseled me through some things. And it's just great to have friends and people of that um, caliber kind of give a shit about you. So he was so gracious in, in terms of wanting to do the show and uh, I appreciate it. So, you know, if there's any tough things might be tough to hear or whatever, I apologize, but uh, this was a grand experiment and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So check out my conversation with Mr. Roy Mayorga. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Let me hear you. Hello. Welcome to the first ever 
live X-Men show live at the Slide Bar. Yeah, give him a, give the Slide Bar a round of applause. Yes, thank you, Slide Bar. Um, I've been trying to do this for for a, a while now, and I wasn't totally sure because my show is very intimate in a, in, a, in a lot of ways, and um, hopefully you guys here don't don't fuck this up. All right, because we do a very special thing here. I've known Roy here for a really, really long time. And I really started this show as a way to kind of connect with people that I've been involved with in the music industry for a long time to talk to my friends, more or less. <laughs> it's, I have a lot of selfish reasons. It's kind of like a mutual therapy session and, uh, and also kind of get a lot of answers to questions that I've wanted to know. But um, I just recently had my 50th episode, which I'm very excited about. Been doing the show for about a year and a half. And my guest right now is someone who not have I, I, I known for a long time, but I would put him in the category of an X-Man's X-Man. Because I was looking through his, uh, his backlog, and you've basically played with about everybody and their mama. <laughs> so actually, won't everyone please give uh, my guest, Mr. Roy Mayorga, a round of applause. Hello. How you guys? How's it going? Welcome to the X-Man, Roy. Thanks for having me. No problemo. Um, so you and I actually met in 2001 at a, uh, my old band, God Forbid, was doing a tour. And uh, it was one of our first tours ever. It was a band called Amen and a band called Shadows Fall. And you were actually doing sound. Yeah, for I was running sound for Amen. How did how did that happen? Well, I was in between tours and I, I had like a few months off and um, I got a call from uh, from Sonny Mayo and uh, Casey. Uh, they needed a sound guy like, hey, man, we need a guy to come in. Um, are you free? I'm like, sure. Why not? I love you guys. You guys are my friends. It'd be awesome to tour with you. Yeah. So that's how I got it. So were, were you like doing sound already? Yeah. I mean, I originally I've been doing sound at that point for probably about a good 10, 11 years. That was basically my my job, my, my survival. You know, when I lived in New York City, I, I worked everywhere from like CBGBs to Wetlands and uh, Limelight and every every club in New York City. Oh, my God. There's a lot of feedback. <laughs> Sorry, I'll move over here. All right. See, Fortunately, they see, gave like, us the my instincts as a sound guy right now really wants to get rid of that feedback. But you have no <laughs> graphic EQ anywhere. Anyway, listen, we're doing what we can here. They put us in the corner, you know, like 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 the hoodlums we are. Yeah, it's okay. We're gonna we're, we're gonna be all right. So yeah, I've, I've I've done sound for for a long time. Like when I wasn't playing drums, I did that to pretty much survive and you know keep myself alive when I was in between gigs and tours and stuff like that. Right on. Yeah. Um, so you're from the East Coast. Yeah, from New York originally, and uh, so Queens. so I didn't know I didn't know you were in a band called Nausea, which is like a dirty, fast punk rock band. Yeah, and you put out like a bunch of records. Was that like your first main band? That was well, technically my first main band that I the first band I made a proper record with. I was in a couple bands before that. I mean, bands like Youthquake and Ward Made Flesh, but Nausea was the band that I was in the longest, and I, that's what my first big touring experience was with, with nausea. Like I toured Europe with them for the first time and played all the squats all over Europe, you know, and uh, played the States a lot and opened up for other bands. And we played with bands like Napalm Death and Godflesh. Like we did the Grind Crusher tour. Were you guys like an earache like band that. or? No, we played with a lot of earache bands. In fact, we were almost, you know, 
getting to sign to a label like that, but we kind of decided to keep the band grassroots. We're a DIY punk band, so we wanted to keep it that way. So we stayed there. You, you consider yourself like a punk guy? Is that still like kind of your, your ethic or your kind of identity? I guess. I mean, like I, I come from more of that and that's 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 always in you. You know, yeah. you don't that never goes away. I still feel the same, same way. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I just think it's 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 fascinating because, you know, not to get too too much into the, the future, but as someone who is in a quote-unquote mainstream rock band now, um, to have that kind of uh, those roots, you know, a lot of people don't get out of that because they feel like that, you know, something almost that is oppositional to, like, making a living or... You know, or 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 I don't kind say, of commodifying I, almost the. Well, the thing here's the thing: I didn't have to change anything about myself or anything to to make a living, or 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 uh, you know. But were you were you making a living with with no, nausea? Not, not at all. Yeah, it was no, just that was just you know we just had something to say, and you know we wanted to inform everybody what we felt about what was going on in the world, and also want to you know get out there and play music and you know be a musician too you know yeah on june 14th your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in disney and pixar's inside out 2 it's time to greet your team riley it's anger let me at him fear safety checklist is complete disgust ew ew sadness is in the house oh no hello i'm anxiety i'm one of riley's new emotions disney and pixar's inside out 2 there's a part two we're going Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. When, um... And you also did a record. I didn't know this till today either. You did a you did a record with the band, the Krishna Harker band, Shelter. Is this true? <laughs> I didn't record with them, but I was their, I was their touring drummer for that album you're talking about. Did you have to have the funny haircut? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. They're they're great guys, man. I really learned a lot on that tour, like just more on the spiritual level and and uh, very positive. I walked away with a really positive attitude. I'll just say that uh, Ray and uh, Purcell from shelter who used to be part of youth of today and gorilla biscuits um showed me a great time with them you know it was awesome so you play with another new york band which i didn't also know about <laughs> crisis yeah 
That was around the same time. So, so, so clearly there's, there's some kind of um, theme here with no, with, with, with you were, you know, you look through your careers, like you're, you're always doing things with different bands at different times. Did you always kind of see yourself as like, not a hired gun, but just kind of willing, like, like you never felt tied down by one band at a time, or is it more that one thing ended and then another opportunity? It was like itself? that one thing ended and there was another opportunity. I never, I was never the kind of guy that wanted to like to jump ship. I always wanted to see things through, you know, nausea stopped because it just did, you know, people didn't get along and you know, that was it. And then crisis only lasted just for a recording. But that band didn't and last a couple, very long. And a couple either. songs. Yeah, it didn't last for long either. But then I had other obligations too. And that led to, to our friend Jason Bittner from Shadows Fall being their drummer after we, we all we all recorded on that record you're okay. talking about. The hollowing. I don't think I even knew that Bittner played on that. Yeah, Jason was Jason played on it. I played on it and um a couple other people. Yeah. You do. I you. I don't got Norman the Wikipedia Westberg here. Norman and the Swans was on it playing guitar. Yeah, yeah. Chris, who used to play in a, a downset, is on it. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Right on. So, how did you end up on the West Coast? Um. Well, at one point, um, when I was still with uh, with Soulfly, I I wanted to like get a little closer. So you you joined Soulfly when you were still in New York. I joined Soulfly when I was still in New York. All right, so let's let's back up then. So oh, how, back yeah, back up how, a little bit. How the fuck did you end up in Soulfly? Because to me, you know, I think you know, I was listening to some some nausea stuff, and you know, you think about punk rock being this. We met because of nausea, actually. Yeah, because we had a mutual friend that that uh, was into nausea and knew Sepultura, and uh, they introduced us at one of the Sepultura shows in like ninety one or ninety. When Arise was out, and I've known Max from from since then, and he was. But a you fan. never did you ever tour with him or anything? No, 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 no. But he was he was clearly a fan of punk, and you know he he, he was a fan of Nausea, which I thought was pretty cool at the time. Like, wow, he likes Nausea, cool. And we just you know kept in touch for years after that, and I ended up doing remixes for Sepultura, uh, like electronic electronic touch? remixes when remixes were really big in the early '90s. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you guys remember that, but what was everybody that was doing remixes. So I chose to do a remix for. Refuse Resist and made this more like Samba based techno version of Refuse Resist called Chaos BC. Which you they, did that? Yeah, I did that. Which Damn. they, which Sepultura ended up using that as their intro um, to Refuse Resist when they played live, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so we kept in touch through all that and he always kept me in mind. And I guess when, you know, uh, around the time when Nail Bomb happened, you know, we met up with each other again. Again, he's like, you know, we should do something, that, you know, sometime after this Nail Bomb thing, you and I get together, do some stuff, be cool. I'm like, yeah, we keep in touch. And a few years later, he actually did call me, you know, when everything went down and I flew out to Phoenix and- That's gotta, that's gotta wrote, feel wrote, real, real. wrote some songs together and, you know- no, played, but Just, just think about know. this for a second, right? Yeah. You have this guy who's in one of the biggest metal bands in the world, most influential, he quits that band and you're, were you were you the first call or was it like, hey, I need to call like uh, Peter Chris or some shit? And I think, <laughs> I, no, I think I think he called a, a bunch of other drummers and they just weren't available. I okay. think we're not gonna say that. We're gonna edit that out. We're gonna be like, yo, he called me first. Hey, I was look, on the tip this is about being call. honest, right? And I'm gonna be honest. I like that. Thank you. Though. No, I'm sure. I'm sure he's he's talked to a, a, a couple other drummers before me. Um, but I was the one that was available. Yeah. And 
Him and I, him, him, him and I got chemistry, really good chemistry. We get along. We're into the same shit, and that's how it worked. Well, what I was trying to allude to earlier was that um, to me, there's such a stark difference between, you know, maybe uh, unfortunately I didn't get into the the deep catalog of, of of nausea, but of a fast kind of frenetic when you think of punk, and then you could really describe this first Soulfly record as kind of like this seminal album in what would be like the new metal era, right? Which is a very- I don't think it's a new metal record. Though. Well, I don't know, that's, that's up for debate. I, 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 don't, I don't have no, no qualms with new metal, but I never considered Soulfly new metal, especially on that record. That yeah. record was raw. Well, but no, but there's so- nothing, There's nothing, there's nothing like slick or whatever, you know? Well, I don't, I wouldn't <laughs> say, even say that the, the hallmarks of new metal are slick. Right. I mean, you look, you look at the, the lineage. Uh, I, didn't, of, I didn't, let me, let me rephrase that. When I say meaning the new metal, it, it didn't have, I don't know. It didn't have the new metal thing to me, maybe because it's just the way the songs were, were written and put together. It just didn't have that. Yeah. Well, but I it had more of a world music edit of energy to me, if anything. Like you could definitely hear a lot of influence of obviously of Brazilian music in it. We had a lot of Brazilian instrument uh, instruments on it, like you know the the tambour drums and and you know a lot of the a lot of the percussion instruments that were used in in maracatu music, which were brought by the uh, the band uh, Chico Science, the Sounds Zumbi. Those those guys came and played on the record, so they really added this element and twisted it more. You know, well, that's why I, I don't really consider it new metal. I think I can make an argument that even those things were, I think the idea about new metal is that it was a genre that was taking an old form and that was open to experimentation, right? right. So, Which I love look at, so look at System of a Down, who are they a new metal band? Are they not? But what did they do? They brought elements of music from they're their punk. culture. To me, they're punk. No, no, what I'm saying is that they brought elements that people would say, oh, right. that's world music or that's, they're gonna bring, uh, some crazy, you know, like this, this is this is my my take on system when I first heard them. Uh, to me, I thought they were like they definitely like almost like Dead Kennedys. Yeah, a lot, and that, I love that they they had like a, a political view. They, oh, of course, you know, and that that's what attracted to me them you know, to me to them like immediately. So yeah, I never really considered them that either. Well, know? that's but but that's the thing when you kind of. Whether the, whether this is new metal or this yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah. this this isn't, I'm, I'm, it's more about almost the um, the scene you 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 come around, right? So like, is Incubus a new metal band? They toured with Soulfly and they had a groove thing and they had this kind of funky thing and they had a DJ. Is you know, but I, but what I was saying is about the experimentation. You take a band like Puya, right? Who they were bringing in uh, Latin elements, or El Nino was bringing in world music. What I'm saying is, I think that is part of the legacy of yeah. what made. Because I think the idea is that. So I guess then Soulfly is part of that. Then. Well, I just, I just think certain terms. I guess it's hard for me to see it that way because I was a part of it. So yeah. Well, no, but I think it helps start. What I'm saying is, I think that record helped establish what quote unquote new metal would be. But I think these terms get, um, you know. They get a, they become a dirty word, and people don't want to be associated with something because of like, oh, that band's corny. I don't want to be associated with that, or they don't want to be dated, right? They're like, well, no, we're not that. We're kind of doing our own thing. But these trends are actually what help build scenes, right? Like with my old band, God forbid, we came up with our group of bands, and whether we were that or not, it helped us to be part of a movement. Right? Is that if you, if, you know, very few bands make it when they're on their own. You kind of need to come. You need to be part of some. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's good to be part of a scene. You know, nothing wrong with being part of a scene. Yeah. 
Well, so kind of going go to that record, the, the point I was trying to make was that whether it's new metal or not, it's a groove record, right? That's just like a very, very groove record. Were you, did that come more naturally to you than being a punk drummer? Or is that the kind of a logical step? Well, honestly, before I was a punk drummer, I was more into soul and funk anyway, as a kid growing up. I mean, the first few years of my life, all I heard before I even heard rock I mean, when I was a baby in a crib, my mom and my dad be playing, uh, you know, James Brown and, and, and uh, Curtis Mayfield and Motown music and stuff like that. So I grew up with that, that, that rhythm. And obviously all the stuff that my dad used to like, he used to like a lot of So what's your, what's your background? Like my dad's Ecuadorian and my mom's Cuban. Okay. And also just the sounds I would hear in the, in the neighborhoods, like just, just those rhythms, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then later, I heard, you know, bands like Zeppelin and ACDC and, you know. Kind of the... That, rest is history. That, that, led me that, to, that led me to punk and led me to new wave and industrial music and all that stuff, you know? Well, no, well, it's funny you say those things about being in the crib because to me, that's what you remind me of. Like, I just can picture you as like a little baby just beating on something like it. it no, I, I, think, I think some people as percussionists specifically, it's intuitive. All instinct, right? Like there's, there's, there's some people like me. I'm. You see me behind a drum kit. That shit is straight embarrassing. <laughs> like you do not want to see me behind a drum kit. You know what I'm saying? That shit. It, it, it's it's not a good look. And everyone thinks I'm a drummer. They're like, oh, you're big. You must beat things. Nah, man. You know, I'm a good air drummer. That's 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 about it. But no, but that's something about you that, um, because it is so intuitive. It is so human, right? Like the sticks become like an extension of the sticks become who, an extension who you of are. who you are. Right, you your know. personality, your other part of your personality comes out in your in your in your playing. Whether you're a guitar player, a drummer, a singer, it's yeah. So, so so kind of getting that a little bit, especially that record, because I do think that record is so the first solo record is so influential, and there's um there's an energy to it, and kind of going to your experience working with Ross Robinson, um, because there's something with that guy in drum sounds where you can actually hear like you beating the shit out of the drum it makes with all you rec- part of the drum you yeah know what i mean but is it something is he doing something recording wise that captures something because it's like why do i feel like i can hear another record like i can hear the drums but i can't his drums it. have character and i'll tell you why i mean he's pretty he's really simple with his miking he doesn't do like you know two mics on each drum kit or uh, 20 gazillion mics. He, he'll do like one mic on each drum, maybe two overheads, maybe one room mic in this room and he'll throw another room mic outside of the room and slam that thing, slam that mic pre and that compressor till you till it's nothing. It's like, ah! and he mixes all that together. No, no effects, just punchy and dry. You know, he has a certain way he likes to tune his drums too, I noticed. Like with my drum kit, he, he liked to tune them just like not too high, not too low, but somewhere in the middle. And you'll take off the front of the kick drum head and like jam a pillow in there and throw like an RE20 uh, electro voice mic in there. That was his kick drum sound. Did you record with the band or was it like, or just on your own? Oh, we recorded together. Okay, it was a live situation. It was live. All of that shit that you hear on the first album is live. We did like five, maybe to six takes of each song until we felt we had a song, a take that was good from top to bottom and then we used that whole take bass guitar everything and then added more guitars and then added real vocals over it you know what i mean 
So what you're hearing is is live, for sure. And and it's funny, I haven't made a record like that until I only made one re- last record I made like that until the Stone Sour record was that one. Everything in between that and and the newest Stone Sour record was all me playing to a click track and guitars that were done on the demo. I didn't even play with the band. You know, it's such a big bum out. That's why I, this new Stone Sour record we just recorded is a breath of fresh is it air. Hydrograd? Yeah, Hydrograd. Well, I was just I was just listening to it coming up here. It's just that's all badass. that's all live, no click track. So t- it's super no tight click track. No click track. That's crazy. It's just like the first Soulfly album. No what, click track. Was that um who who produced that? Was that Jay Rustin? Oh, and, Jay Rustin. And we we did. So did Jay fight you on the click? No. Okay. He was I, all about I know it. a lot of guys. They're just like because for editing Jay, purposes. Jay was Jay was like yeah cool. Do it. <laughs> we I'm have like, someone clapping right. for the uh, for, for for the lack of a click track. Yeah, no click track. Fine. Well, that's also I mean not for nothing as a as a drummer that really a lot of that responsibility once the click is gone falls to you. So if, if you're... Well, if you have a, you have guitar players that have a good rhythm and, and good, you know, can hold the tempo down, it, you don't need a click track. If everyone can like just be together like in that room and really feel each other out like musically, then you don't need a click track, you know? You didn't need, no one needed it before, so <laughs> fuck it. You know, that's a thing that, I mean, click tracks have always been there. We just never really hear about them. We hear about them more now because of Pro Tools. Everyone automatically. The first time I ever heard about it was on this, uh, it was a Megadeth documentary for the Euthanasia album. And they would like, you guys, Revolver, yeah, that's what, that's what it was called. And they would like, they were going through the tracks and they'd have the, the little cowbell sounds. The first time I ever heard of a, kick, uh, of a click track. The first time I ever heard of click track was the disco era. A lot of disco was recorded to click track. That's it. Back in the I mean, day, that's what I mean, it started. You kind of needed that. You wanted that it's one, a pulse. 115, 120 BPM. It's got to be steady. So you about to, it was a good thing ain't no drums up here. You be, you start rocking it now. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. <laughs> Actually, I was listening to that soundtrack a lot during that first Soulfly record. I mean, you don't hear any of those rhythms on there, but as far as like the groove it's neck snapping man it's right <laughs> it's from that it's true actually listening to dancing queen by abba right before recording the one song you can kind of hear it like in the song prejudice there's a drum beat in there that's inspired from that song well well i think well so i think dance music is kind of goes back to that idea about something being elemental something being the idea of making dance music which is not too dissimilar i think from from that record is that it inspires people to move, right? It's made for the live setting. I'll tell you this much, if I don't see anybody moving out there, then I'm not doing my job, right? <laughs> well, there you go, like, that's, that's part of it. Yeah. So I'm still friends with Gloria, I'm still friends with Max, I'm still friends with Marcelo, Mikey, Lucio, I still talk to everyone. Was it, was Doling, was, Mikey Doling was playing second guitar at that time? Yeah, before him was, uh, was Logan actually. But am I, am I right about that, that, that show, the Birch Hill nightclub in Jersey, was that the first show you didn't do? I didn't play that one, no. But I'm saying, was that, did you quit right before that show? Yeah. Okay, cause so, so this show, for you guys listening, you guys here, so the- Actually, actually, uh, a day prior to that. A day prior to that, okay, so this tour was amazing. It was Soulfly, uh, Neurosis, Hatebreed, and Will Haven. Just this sick ass lineup. And so, I, you know, the show was sold out. Everyone was looking for it. And you could argue that 
Soulfly was the biggest on that first record. Like that's when the, I mean, it, like it was a really, really big deal. So obviously everyone was really looking forward to this show. And so what they did was they had guys from the tour. So it was like literally drummers from every band would come and do songs. People like local dudes were coming in and playing a few songs. It was kind of a shit show, but they got through it. So it's, it's funny. And then I had Dave Shivari come and kind of give me, give me the, the under end of that. So now if you never listen to this show, what this show is really about, my show is about the transitions. You're not in the band anymore. And you've been playing at this point music a pretty long time. You're finally in a band that's kicking ass. You're probably making some money. I don't want to, you know, get too deep in that. But, you know, what was going through your mind at that time? Was well, it was I had a lot of, I had a lot of, um, like I said, a lot of personal things going on at that time. Just that you had to like deal with personally? Yeah, it's not, nothing to do with those guys. It's something to do on in, in my life at that time. You know what I mean? It's not drug or anything, not, not drug oriented and that shit. I never got into that stuff. But um, just other things that was going on in my life, I really don't. Yeah, but care, things that you kind of. But about. is this like an idea about self care and just kind of like I need to take care of myself situation? It was more with relationships. Okay. At the time. Okay. Yeah. We don't and, cry. And, we don't and, cry and, on and, the X Men. And, and a little bit of that. And a little bit of that. Yeah. But after that, actually, and that's I ended up moving here to L.A. Yeah. And I was actually playing with the uh, with Logan, Mater, and Wit. Yeah, and uh, medication. Yeah. Okay. So I well, listen. So I told you, man. I went in the files, man. I looked at all the stuff. I was listening to medication today. I was listening to a bloom today. Um, but but no, but I, I think it's um, That's a little later. A bloom. The, oh, so bloom was later, and medication was first. Mm -hmm. Actually, no. I so I went to a show with medication. The tour was Cold Chamber, 5.0, and medication. I wasn't on that tour. Oh, you weren't on that tour. No. Well, damn. I think I was back in Soulfly. All right, so actually, so this, <laughs> so this brings actually, me. Actually, in fact, I think I, I, I was back. I was back. So this, this actually brings me to another thing I wanted to talk to you about because uh, much like you, I'm an East Coast guy from New Jersey and I moved to LA to kind of find my way as a, as a grown ass musician who had already done, done some things. And in a lot of ways, you know, cause you, you were like doing sound in LA, right? I was for a minute when I first moved here. Yeah, just to, you know, keep my life going. So you look at medication, you have Whitfield Crane from Ugly Kid Joe, you have Logan Mater from Machine Head, and who was a bass player? Um, that would be, well, Robert Trujillo was the first bass player. Oh, snap. Yeah. Shout out to Rob. Well, it's Mark from uh, Blunt from uh, Dana Life was in it as well. Okay, so what what, what I'm, I'm kind of getting at is like, oftentimes for guys like us, LA becomes this like kind of super group factory or where it's like, hey, it's this guy from this band and that guy from, from, from this band. And, you know, I feel like guys like you and I will come to LA after some opportunity ends and then we get kind of involved in these like, it's this guy from this band and that guy from this band. And it's just like this element of, I don't know, just trying to make it or whatever. And there's just a very like, like what can you kind of tell me about like the LA scene at, at, at that time? Was it just kind of like you were just doing whatever or you were just trying to find something that's that stuck? Or? I'm just trying to find something that I, I'm just trying to find my place. Yeah. There, there's no like, oh, I want to make it and make it and da da da. I, I just went with the same attitude I had from day one. 
okay, where am I going to now? Let's find a new a new place, a new band, and yeah. see what happens. That's it. But but you were committed, obviously, obviously. to always committed to whatever I'm at. Yeah, but there was never that moment like I'm. A, I used to be in Soulfly, man, and uh, it's no, all. <laughs> no. I don't do that. Honestly, I. Because we've seen a lot of those people, right, who are kind of like living on this hill or dying on a hill, more more like. And 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 telling everybody this, this, and that about themselves. Or like I used to, or like you ever have that guy who like comes up and like introduces you as like, hey man, and they give you their resume real quick. Yeah. I was never that. I was never that guy, <laughs> and I've ran into that guy. You know, but I'm saying, but it's a very. LA type of experience, you know right. what I'm saying? And you were kind of in it way before I was, but you were involved, you know, like I say, you're doing sound, you're going out with this I'm band. blue collar, man. Yeah. I mean, every situation I'm, I'm a part of, like I always went in with that attitude. Yeah. And then- Never so, had that agenda of, you know, here's my resume. I, I don't know. I see people do that and, yeah. and, and that's okay. You know, not slamming that, yeah. you know, you do what you gotta do. Well, well, just I, it just seemed that at that time, just look at what you're doing. You were just you were trying on a lot of different hats, right? Yeah. You know. Um, so you also, I think, are actually you can answer me this question: Are you the only person ever play with Sepultura and Soulfly? Probably. Besides Max Cavalera. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just me and Max, is it? <laughs> so how did you end up filling in? So you filled in for Igor Cavalera. I did. And how did that come about? Um, well. That actually started with uh, me being involved with the uh, Roadrunner United All-Stars thing. Love, through, love that, by the way, the Roadrunner United. That that documentary is so cool. And it's like, I feel like um, Nuclear Blast tried to do something similar to that, but it's kind of, an you know, for if you guys haven't heard the Roadrunner United record, go get it. It's amazing. And it features like every... Like 2005. Yeah, great metal person, basically, that was going on at that, at, at that time. The songs are incredible. Um, What's that? Thanks. Yeah, man. Well, that lineup because it was you, Dino, uh, Andreas Kisser, and who and who was playing bass? And Matt Heafy and, and Matt, uh, Paul Matt. Gray. Oh, Paul. I'm saying like that should have been an, its own album. That would have been pretty. We had sick. A, actually actually Dino had a couple other tunes too that we didn't record. So maybe we'll get to record those one of these days. Well, there's actually something I almost feel bad about is if you go online and watch the. Uh, the live show from that where actually Tommy Vex is actually yeah I actually first vocals. met Tommy yeah yeah but when they're doing sick uh-huh. with that group of guys yeah it actually so, sorry Slipknot it sounds tighter than even when Slipknot plays it like it's so tight and heavy when you get Andreas and fucking Dino like that shit's hard yeah it's not a killer it's yeah. a fun night so through all that you end up filling in for Sepultura all right, that, that just that's just like- what, I think that's what, that's what sparked the idea in Andreas's head. Cause I actually played some Seppel songs with him that night. And I've already I've known Andreas from before as well. So he's like, hey man, you know, um, Igor is gonna, it's gonna take a step down for a minute. You know, he's having a baby, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not playing with anyone. I'm just kind of, you know, bumming around right now looking for something to do. He's like, well, you know, come play with us for a little while. So I did. And then after that, that led me to Stone Sour. Yeah. So right after that. So this, yeah, this. So it's so funny because it, it really brings me back. Actually, I have to kind of go back to the, tur- the same time. Actually, uh, but 
Go ahead. I'll explain, no, no, I'll explain to you how that all all cross faded together. Well, like, well no, because it 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 really that situation really reminded me of the tour we when we met with Amen. So if you guys don't know Amen, it was basically a couple of guys from Snot. It was this guy Casey Chaos, who was the singer, and then it was the drummer, um, so you know, Shannon Larkin. Shannon Larkin, of course. Um, who was kind of like a legend at that time. And then a little later, he ended up being Godsmack. And I feel like when I found out you were in Stone Sour, it reminded me of like, yeah, like our guy, like got graduated to like that next level, you know? And it was like, you know, like the, the right, you know, it's, it just feels good for me when you feel like the right people, quote unquote, catch a break. And of course, in a way, it's not even catching a break. I mean, you've, earned it and you're you've always been that guy obviously or else you wouldn't be getting this gig and that gig and constantly being asked but i mean uh what kind of what did you feel at that time did it feel like some kind of validation for all the work you had done or is it just the next gig at first yeah but then yeah it definitely felt like a validation i mean i, I never thought when you know joining a band i was going to be made a member because i wasn't a member of any band by that point yeah you were I've always, always, the always hired been a hired gun, gun. So when I joined Stone Sour, uh, the second I was I was asked, I was asked to be a member. Would you want to be a member? I'm like, yeah. So they made me a member right from the, right from the right from the get go. And you did the uh, Come Whatever May record, right? That That's was the, the first record. one. Yeah. That was because like I kind of liked the first record, but I really like Bother. I was like one of those guys. <laughs> I like Bother. Um, but the re- but this that record was to me like the record where Stone Sour became like the band that was like holy shit this is really really great you know what's it like being in a band with uh cory taylor you <laughs> <laughs> have to tell like stories like crazy stories just, he's a funny like, motherfucker what? i love that guy well it's he's just my best friend he's really yeah that's awesome we're bros man everybody in that band has mutual love for each other man it's great i love hanging with those guys yeah, it, it, it's I miss those guys. I haven't seen them in a month and a half, man. Well, yeah, you were just out with uh, Ozzy or something. No, or we're that gonna be. Up? Oh, see? that's coming up, man. You get, you get to do the last Ozzy tour. Hold on, the the last Ozzy tour. That's what he says. <laughs> I did quotes. If you guys couldn't see, the last Ozzy tour. Remember, no more tours. That shit was what 1993. <laughs> hey, man, I'm stoked. He's even he's he's jamming still, and and even more stuck that we're gonna be opening up for him. I mean. I never, I never thought that. I never ever expected something like that. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. But no, so no. The reason why I was saying about uh, Corey Taylor is because, you know, I think just on a base level, just as ability, there's like a handful of people that can kind of do what he does. But the fact that, you know, I don't you know outside of maybe Maynard, right, or like maybe Mike Patton. Like, he doesn't really have to do another band, right? He doesn't have to, but... But he wants to. Well, yeah. He's got passion, man. That's what I'm saying, like... The guy does not rest. You, how can how can when he, he when he's not playing with us he's writing a book when he's not writing a book he's doing an acoustic show when he's not doing an acoustic show he'll go do a Slipknot and when he's not doing Slipknot he'll he'll write another book and then when he's not when he's done writing a book he'll come play with us and and then so forth the guy does not stop I never met anybody that works as hard as he does yeah he's incredible well one thing kind of going thinking about your career a little bit with regard to Stone Sour is that 
you've kind of been in all these different genres, right? You were playing punk music and then you were playing a little more metal music. And Stone Sour, I would, I would consider more of a straightforward rock band. Which I think I think so. Do yeah. you like? Do you classify yourself as a rock drummer? Or I don't classify. Are you just my, a drummer? I don't classify myself as any genre type specific drummer at this point. I, I just. But it feels. So is it, there's no situation. I'm a drummer that that learned how to adapt to situations. Okay, when I joined a punk band. Of course, I was into punk, and that's the kind of drumming I was into, so I played that. I joined a band like Crisis and Soulfly, you know, I adapted to those situations. I mean, how I play in Crisis is nothing how I play in Soulfly, completely different. Crisis is probably a little more straight up metal. Yeah. Soulfly required a lot of pooling, finding that soul background that I, I grew up listening to and the some pulse. and some yeah the pulse and what I grew up listening to with Bonham and Led Zeppelin and mixed with some world music some Moroccan music which I was listening to a lot at the time which has some crazy six eight rhythms and, and a shout lot out of, to Moroccan music a lot, of, a lot of Brazilian music you know I was turned on to that I never listened to when I first joined a band Max was like here listen to all of these things I mean, I already knew Sergio Mendez was, so there's a lot of, I grew up listening to that because of my mom and dad, but he turned me on to other stuff like, you know, Chico Science and the Sounds of B, uh, Ula Doom, stuff like that. Like, listen to this and then let's go jam. So then that's what I came up with from listening to that. So I thank Max a lot for like, turning me on to a lot of cool shit that I never would have listened to if I didn't join the band. I mean, I think it's a testament to you because and, and, that, and that's the art of adapting. You, you that's you just yeah, but adapt. you're adaptable. That's what I'm saying is oh, that you thanks. kind of it's like that. Uh, what's that Bruce Lee quote? He's like, "Be like water. <laughs> the water takes he, the shape." Well, he's of the right. Cup. He well, you know, his philosophy. His philosophy. I mean, he's right. Be yeah. the water. Well, it's. I mean, easier said than done. You know, a try. You, you know, there's. Well, listen, I, you know, I've been lucky enough to play in a few different styles of music and kind of like, I remember- You definitely have. Well, well when, I, when I was doing God Forbid, like around 2010, I just tried to join this like straight up cover band. We were doing like Zeppelin and like Incubus. And I felt like, like I sucked at guitar, but I was like, I have to like do this to kind of, cause when you're playing thrash metal and death metal and stuff, it's like such one note. Challenge is good. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. It, it, but it took me probably three, four, five years of playing, of kind of, I had to unlearn some of the things that, because metal's stiff. It's, it's like stiff. You, you, you're trying to sound like a machine, you know, but when you're playing rock music, you have to relax. You have to like. Well, that's the thing. I, I try to find a balance of relax and stiffness within playing when I play metal. I mean, when I play metal, it's, I mean, it doesn't really sound like, I try my best to play what needs to what needs to be for whatever's in, whatever's thrown at me. Yeah. Like what I'm saying, but the Roadrunner United stuff was pretty metal. Yeah, you were like metal. doing some fast double bass and kind of. It was needed. Yeah. <laughs> so you can pull that out. So Dino told me to play. Hey, play this. I'm like, all right. Can you get, tell me to play this can you pull that out? Like, like if you haven't done like fast double bass in a while, if you had to do it, is it just there, or is there some of the things you have to kind of? I always I always practice it, even when I'm at home, because I don't play a lot of fast double bass in Stone Sour, obviously. Some songs we have double bass, but it's not like, you know, no. a gazillion miles an hour. It's like, you know, 160, 165, 170. Like songs like 30, 30, 150, and uh, Gone Sovereign, and 
Someone Stole My Eyes, you know, songs like that have double bass. But I played double bass actually throughout the whole Stone Sour set. A lot of people don't notice or realize it because I incorporate it in a lot of my fills. Really? It's in there. It's all part of the fills. A lot of the... That's all between quads and, you know, hands and feet, you know, always. So so speaking of, actually, I'm gonna, I have to cut it because I have to tell a story about like that to this to this day is still like a really impactful thing. So you were doing sound for Amen. I think we were in like Buffalo or something. And you were like Mike and like the drum kit. Actually, no, no, you guys got done sound checking. And I was setting up my gear and you were behind the drums. And I was like, yo, man. Cause I to, cause to me you were actually kind of remember you, 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 you were my younger from Soulfly. I was like, yo, I do play with Max. And I was like, <laughs> and I just started playing territory. Mm. Damn, and, and, I and, that. Right? I just started rocking, and you got back, and you just, and I just remember the way this way this motherfucker hit them drums. I was like, I was like, oh my god! <laughs> but no, that was like really, really big moment for me because I was like, you know, that was the first kind of professional kind of tour we had done. That's to me, that's one of Igor's like genius drumming. Like yeah, but that, not everyone like you have that, to have that, a feel to no, do his, that, dude. Let's just let's just talk about Igor for a minute. Let's I was, talk I was about just, Igor. I was just with him a couple days ago because he's in town playing with his uh, other band Soulwax. Um, that's a fucking amazing song. Yeah, that's like probably it's a heavy metal some classic. Of his, some of his fucking best work, I think. It's such an original drum beat. Like, who the hell opens up a song with? That's amazing. Like, <laughs> fuck. You know, attention, douche, right there. Yeah. Well, that's well, that record. It's a, it's a, it's, it's the. Who did that? Sickest. Andy Wallace. Andy Wallace did it. That drum sound, man. Andy Wallace, another person. He's he's like God to me. Did you get to do a record? Ever do get the record with him? I, well, he mixed the first Soulfly record. Okay. Yeah, and I did. Got I get to I got to hang out with him for like a day or so just to watch him work and stuff because I was like such a like fan. Well, yeah, because you're so. I'm an engineer as well, so yeah, I was, that's I was what I'm total saying. geek with with all that stuff. So I, when I got the chance to hang out with him in New York, watching him mix one of the songs, it was incredible. And he's, he's so simple with it. There's not much outboard gear, actually no outboard gear. He all he uses all inline on the SSL. That's it. Maybe a couple pieces. So of, does he have a, a sick board though? Like a, it's a, an SSL, like a 4056, 40,000, 4,000 G. Okay. I don't see. Here's the thing, man. I've been making music all these years. I still don't know anything about gear. I'm just like, what is it? I press record, and I have a. What do you use to record? I use a computer. I learned a lot just watching Mac that computer, work. with buttons on it, and then it goes. I still don't know. I know a little bit about a little bit. No, actually, kind of talking about that, the the production stuff. I see all this stuff of you, especially like on Instagram and stuff, where you're in front of one of those crazy. Like, modular synthesizer. Yeah, so yeah. what's your background with that? Because apparently you've done some soundtracks and, 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 and scores. Like, did you, are you just someone who's just like figured all this stuff out on his own through curiosity? Because clearly you were already doing something like this before you, you know, were even out on the West Coast and stuff. What's your background with that? Um, I've been, I've been dealing with doing that since, I don't know, good over 30 some years. I've been yeah. collecting synthesizers on and off. That do you play? Can you just? Are you fluent on the piano? Yeah. Okay, yeah. you're yeah. like a real musician. I'm jealous. <laughs> well, what got me into the whole soundtrack thing was um, as a kid. You know, I went. I went to go see The Shining 
in the theaters. And that just listening to that and seeing that for the first time, and it, was, it just made such an impact on me. And I got into soundtracks and those kind of movies, horror films since then. And then following up, watching The Fog, you know, John Carpenter, oh, yeah. his soundtrack work, I mean, did you did you go That's see what, did you go see him recently? Yes, I did. Yeah, I was at the show. At the I was at that amazing. Show. It was great to hear those themes that he created that were so amazing at the time, loud. Well, that's PA a little with a band. So that's a little that like the theme song from this show was kind of me listening to Stranger Things, which is basically Jack. What, 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 did, what did you use to make that? Uh, just Logic stuff. Logic, nice. Yeah, just Logic right. stuff and. Um, I don't even know what else I have. I have this thing called Remix Tools, which is like a, uh, I think that's a Logic slash Garage Band. You should come thing. over to my place. I can, I'll show you all that stuff. Yes, I want to learn. I like, I'm like, I guess it's called Synth Wave, is, synth this, wave. Is, is like the 80s synth based soundtrack. Like, I'm anything that's like that, I like it. I'm just like, yes, yes. I mean, it's like I'm stuck in like a nostalgia bubble or some I shit. Do, but I do. Like, I have, I actually, I have a, a library of, of tracks I've, I've made over the years yeah. of that kind of stuff. Okay. That's, that's what I'm inspired by. Inspired by like that and Jean-Michel Jarre, who's actually playing this weekend at Coachella, okay. which I'd love to see. He brings his whole rig. He has like a gazillion analog synths up there and he plays for real, no tracks. He has three other players that are playing synthesizers as well as he is. You know, Hans Zimmer does live shows yes, too. Have I you do. been to any of those? No. Yeah, he did Coachella either, I think last year or He's the year incredible. before. That last soundtrack he just did with uh, for Blade Runner was yeah, insane. And I love that movie. I love that story. I mean, there's a lot of people I know that are as big as fans as I am of that of the original Blade Runner. That hated it, which I'm just like, man. You hated you, the original Blade Runner? No, hated the new one, which I was like, you know what? You need to watch it again and just don't expect to see another version of the old one. Yeah, but that's actually... The, actually not the point because the point is is that people forget the original movie they forget that it's slow right and that it's deliberate and it's right. patient and it's dark you gotta and be it's, patient and well, it's like we're in we're in the age where patience is pretty out pretty much out the window everyone's attention span is like that now. well I, I think oftentimes what people will do is they'll kind of look at especially with regards to film because we look at film especially like in the 70s, right? Mm -hmm. Very, like you go see a movie like McCabe and Mrs. Miller or any of the old like West Spaghetti Westerns. And it's like, they'll just like pan across a plane. No sound. <laughs> for like a minute and 15 seconds. Like, okay, that sure Quiet. is a plane. And we're just not, but we're so kind of conditioned out of that. Like where a lot of people, I guess with the latest Quentin Tarantino film, uh, The Hateful Eight, which is very much like a 70s style where it's very slow. And I guess for some people, they just were kind of conditioned out of that, of just like letting something live. And I'm still holding goes. on. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I try, try to as, as well, as, as much as I can. So um, when it comes to that stuff, do you like produce other bands? You're only just making stuff. I haven't produced any, any other bands lately. All, all I've been working on right now is just, just Stone Sour stuff and my own stuff. That's it. I haven't really done much production, but I'm open to it. So I'm always that, open to it. But all that, uh, that those crazy synths, is that your studio or is it's that- my studio. You, that's in your house? That's at my house. And that's where I recorded uh, all the Stone Sour demos. And I did the, those two uh, cover EPs, excuse me, 
we recorded it at my place. Engineer. Yeah, I really do have to. I've been to your house one time, but I don't. I didn't get to come and see the studio. I yeah. Think I, yeah, you've been to my house. I like once. dropped you off or something. You did, yeah, yeah, something. yeah. Yeah, you gotta come. You gotta come by. Hang I'm out. Gonna, I want to be in the studio. You could be. Can we play some shit? Bring your guitar. <laughs> and well, you know what? Everything's mic'd up and ready to go. All I have to do is, you know, launch Pro Tools. There's yeah, a template. That? Done. See, I think I just booked your next production. I think you did. Anything <laughs> I'm doing next, I'm like, yo. He's, so, he just invited himself. So you're gonna go. You're gonna produce my new record, right? And what? Yeah. yeah we're uh, we're okay. coming. In. Hey, guys, pull the van up. He's gonna. We're gonna. <laughs> you're not doing anything today, right? <laughs> And we need to jam out you and I regardless. That would be fucking. We awesome. haven't in like in twenty. Oh, in like what is it? Two thousand one. Now it's we always talk about that. We need to jam. We never do because well, you're so busy. You're, I'm so well, busy. one. I here's the thing about me. I'm like I hate to bother, like anyone. Like I could be like you know having a heart attack and I'm like ah I don't want to bother them. You know, <laughs> Ugh, you know. I hate I hate bothering people. Like like I'm like the guy like. People will literally get mad at me. So come to town, like, dude, I'm playing. You didn't call me. And I'm like, I hate to, I don't want to bother right, you to get on the guest list. Let's just make a rough plan right now. I know you're about, you're about to be busy with, with bad yes. walls. And then people keep bothering to, me. I'm about to be, <laughs> <laughs> right, and I'm about to be busy with Stone Sour. Next year, I won't be busy. Okay. You have time. I have time. We can jam. Or you just bring us on tour. I could do that. Do, the, do that. Stone Sour, bad walls. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That sounds like a good idea. See, actually, so actually kind of relating battles to Stone Sour, I had a couple questions because now I've been this underground metal dude. And now that I'm in this band that has this like rock and roll hit. And you've been in like this mainstream rock world, whatever you want to want to call it. Like when you guys make a record, do you ever have or do you consistently have this idea of like, all right, if we don't have that radio song or these two radio songs or three songs that that we're fucked or that is there like this when you're in that world is there this overarching pressure to be a thing or do you guys just you guys don't worry about it we don't worry about it we just we just write and write like a, a batch of songs and just write the best songs we can you know best songs we can and but just do you get that call from, from like the label like hey guys uh no. 92.4 is really needs a track no no one fucks with you no maybe that's just good you know maybe it's because Corey's in the band. They're just like, let's let him do it. They'll be fine. That he's a hit machine. We're gonna be fine. Is that what it is? I don't no, know. No, it's not like that, man. We just seriously, we get together, we write, it just works and out. We record it, and just go from there. Yeah. Well, I noticed with you guys though, it seems like I'm listening to a new record, and it's like much more metal. It's getting more. I feel like each record gets a little more metal. Yeah. But yeah, but more song, like you think this album's more metal. At least what I was just yeah. listening to, yeah, there's some like, it's tight. The, the, the Christian, the guitar player, dude, is shredding his face off. He, dude, Christian brought a lot to this That dude record. is good as hell. Because he, I was looking, I was like, when I found out there was a, a guitar spot open, I was Coast. like making calls. He's East Coast. He's from Philly. Him and I know each other from, from, from back East as well. Yeah, but I was like, when I found out you guys didn't have a guitar player, I, I wasn't doing nothing. I was like trying to find out. And then I heard him. I'm like, nah, they, you, you picked. He's, he's good. I'm gonna go home now. I never heard from you. you never <laughs> well, I think me. it was already by the time I looked into it because I think I hit up um, Justin at Five B and asked him, and he was like, "Oh, they already have someone." Like by the time it, by the time I looked into it, it was already like a done deal. Yeah, but Christian, though, man, like when he came into this, he came in with like a lot of stuff. Yeah, I heard and, he wrote and we a lot. Were just right? like holy shit! Like I, at, at one point, like I was writing a lot of riffs and just sending them to him, like two or three riffs. And so was Johnny Chow. Everybody was. We're all singing them riffs. He turned into the cook. 
Oh, and he like mixed it up. Yeah, got and, the and, alchemist, and then like alchemist. a half hour later, we get this full song. We're like, damn. So it just kept going like that. And That's then, and blood, then, we, then we would just get together at my house, at my studio, and I would just mic everybody and hit record and just play them and see what they sound like and then record it, pick them apart, go record them again. Maybe I would take whatever we recorded and edit it and arrange it in Pro Tools to see what it sounds like. Okay, let's go back and record it just like how I just edited it. Make it seamless and not but so as a pace. band, not as a band. Yeah. So we fine tuned everything there. And then uh, we do like five or six songs at a time. The reason why we do that is because, you know, we just want to like live with these songs for a little while. Plus that gives Corey a chance to write songs for, you know, write lyrics for you know every batch. So when he has a break from from Slipknot, he would come to my house and record the vocals and then go back out on the road and just continue on like that. And then right before the record, we just like, you know, hired a studio for three days, practiced all the songs like, you know, live and then went to the studio and played them live. Do you play to a click live? No. Certain Damn. songs I do. Because there's some backing stuff? Yeah. Certain songs I do. Obviously, to the, the intro of our set, there's that intro with that, you know, hello, you bastard. I got to play to a click to that. And then uh, when person, uh, when type A personality kicks in, there's no more click. I, I take the band. There's certain songs I play to a click it's just because it just feels good. Yeah. And it needs it. Cause it needs a certain like pace to it. Like Rose so Red. So much click talk today. Rose man. Red's just... got, Rose Red I do live because I, I have a, we all have a tendency of rushing that one. And it's just better to have a reminder to kind of keep you in line with things. You know what I mean? That's probably about the only one that I do play to one. So what is in uh, 20 years? Are you still behind the kit, fucking it up, beating it down, hitting that disco beat? You're, a, you're asking me that if I'll be doing this in 20 years? Yeah, man. What's the Absolutely. plan, man? I'm going to be doing this until I can't do it anymore. Okay. I'm always a lifer. Gonna, I'm always going to. I'm a lifer. I am 100% a lifer. Right on. Always will be. Well, I don't think there's any better place to end it. Roy Mayorga, thank for being on the X-Men show. Thanks for having me, brother. I love you, man. Love you, too. Yeah, come on. Give me a hug. If you take a step towards me, you will take my breath away. So I'll keep you close and keep my secrets safe. No one else has ever loved me. No one else has ever tried. I never understood how much I could take.
So that was song number three from the new Stone Sour album entitled Hydrograd. Hope you guys have picked that up. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much to Roy. He is the man. I actually, they played the other night at Fort Rock, uh, the festival we did. And it was so, so crazy. I couldn't, didn't even get a chance to say hello to him, but they kicked ass as you would think. Actually, I got to see Ozzy the other night. That was pretty badass. Um, but yeah, I'm just out here on the road, man, trying to trying to get this done up in this dirty ass Red Roof Inn in Houston, Texas, or as they said in Superman 2, Planet Houston. That's right. I, I still like calling Houston Planet Houston. It feels good. But based in a, in a, in a couple days, we're starting. We have one more festival, Carolina Rebellion, a couple more shows with Hollywood Dead in Texas. And then we start our tour with Five Finger Death Punch and Shinedown and Starset. So get to live that arena tour lifestyle, which, listen, I'm not going to lie. I, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy playing the arenas and being that guy. No, with all seriousness, things are going really well, and I I, I couldn't be happier. And uh, thank you guys for your support. Uh, please head over to iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, rate and review the show. Tell your friends. You know, hopefully, like I said, coming up, I'm going to be try to get some bigger interviews, talk to some people, utilize the fact that I'm out here on the road to get some shows done. And uh, hopefully you guys will like it. So keep it going, you know, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and Mamba is motherfucking out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grey Street.